You're listening to a message from South Hills Church in Burbank, California. For more information about South Hills, check out SouthHillsBurbank.com. And then coming down your row, there's going to be a bucket. Uh, inside that bucket is uh, a domino that looks like this. And so um, I want to ask you to take one out of the bucket and just keep passing it across the room. Um, we're going to come back to this. This is going to make sense of why you're holding on to one of these in just a moment. But uh, make sure to grab one and hold on to it. So every person, please grab one domino. Uh, and you're going to look at it and go, this is not a domino, Dave. This uh, has no dots on it. And so um, they're the kind of dominoes that you use to set up the uh, chain of dominoes that you knock over. I know that there's a name for that, but I don't know what it is. So um, grab one of these little dominoes, and then it's going to make sense in a moment. And as you're passing that, and as it's extremely noisy, I'm going to go ahead and just start talking over top of you. So um, let's uh, dive into this. This is going to be part four of a series that we've been in since the beginning of the year. We've been talking about how to create the right habits. How do you and I uh, understand that something has to change? And in order for something to change, we have to figure out what it is. And then how do we actually do it in a way that sticks this year? And so as we move into this new year and as we're setting goals and as we're having aspirations this year of what we want to do and what we want to fix and what we want to create, we have to know how to create these habits and how to do it in a healthy way that is actually going to come out on the end exactly the way we wanted it to be or better. And so we've been working through this series. If you've missed any part of it, you can go back and listen to our podcast, whether iTunes or Google Play. And I would encourage you to check out the podcast. Um, A lot of the stuff we've talked through in this series is coming from a book. Uh, The book is entitled Atomic Habits. Um, And so we are using the Bible as well as something very practical book called Atomic Habits by James Clear. And he gets into habits and forming habits. And it's really mind-blowing how... Uh, how scientific he gets, but how simple he makes it. And so I would encourage you, if you have the time to grab this book, read it, listen to it, grab it on Audible and listen to the book. It's a fantastic book. And so uh, check it out. But we're going to dive into a New Testament story this morning in just a moment. But before we do, let me, um, let me help you with something. There's, there's this thing that you and I do where we, we know that we have difficult conversations that we need to have with people. And typically we avoid those difficult conversations because we've worked out an outcome. We've psyched ourselves out about the outcome of the conversation before it's ever happened. And what we tend to do is we assume the worst. We assume everything is going to be horrible. It's going to end in a blow-up fight again. Everything's going to be bad. And we've assumed this in our heads, so we've convinced ourselves to not even begin the conversation, to not even answer the call or to make the phone call in the first place because we've assumed how it's all going to work out. We think we know, but do we really know? And what's amazing is when we actually take the step to do the the difficult thing, to make the phone call or to answer it or to set up the meeting, and it actually works out better than we ever could have expected. Now, I'll be 100% honest. This is, I've had an issue with this my entire leadership life. I've avoided conversations uh, for so long, and I don't know why. I've actually tried to go back this week in my mind and and think through all the things that I have avoided over my years of leadership. And I don't know why. I don't know if there's an instance where something bad happened in a conversation or something. I don't know if something took place, but um, for whatever reason, I've avoided this to the point where if I would get a phone call or a text message from someone or even an email from someone... Early on, they would message me and say, hey, can you call me? I immediately assume the worst. I think they're going to quit. So if they were a youth leader or involved in the church as a volunteer, I just assume they're going to quit. 
I assume they hate something about me and the church. They're going to leave. Or they're just, or they're dying. I, I go, I will go as far as that. Or all three. They're, they're leaving the church because they're dying or something. I don't know. So I assume the worst all the time. And it's actually gotten to the point where the people that know me really well, they know that I'm like this. So if they text me and say, call me, they know that I probably won't call them right away because I have to fight this inner monologue of what negative news I'm going to get from them. And so Pastor John knows me well enough now. We've been together uh, in, in serving and being in church together for so long. He now knows that when he texts me, like, call me, dot, 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 I'm not quitting. It's, it's no joke. That is his text messages to me uh, frequently. And so he reminds me that he's not quitting. He's not, he's not doing anything like that. So I call him back, and then it's usually just a, a nice conversation that we have. And I can remember specific conversations. One particular conversation that I had to have with somebody that was going to be a very difficult conversation was going to run the risk of someone um, not being in my life anymore. It was going to be a difficult leadership conversation. And I remember fearing this sit-down talk. I put it off and put it off and put it off and kept trying to smooth it over, and I knew it was coming. And so I finally just buckled down. We set the appointment. We sat down. I fumbled my way through the first several minutes of of trying to make small talk, knowing that I had to get to this other thing. And when I finally said what I needed to say, the person sitting across from me said, you know what? I've been feeling the same thing. And all of a sudden, everything was different. We, We had this great conversation that was really difficult. And it ended in a way that was actually the exact way I was hoping it would end, even better. They remained part of my life. They remained part of our church. It it, it moved on in the most healthy way possible. And it blew my mind, but what it really did is it gave me the confidence to know that when you step out and don't assume the worst, when you actually assume the best, things actually tend to work out that way. Not all the time. But most of the time. And the more success you have in something, the more confidence you begin to have in doing it the next time. You see, we all have these moments where we psych ourselves out about the horrible outcome that we've played out in our mind. And then we're shocked when it doesn't work out that way. When in reality, it actually turns out to be good. And the reason this happens, and James Clear gets into this in his book, Atomic Habits... The reason this happens is because you and I have a very singular view of things. And our singular view of things often works against us. See, when we know that there's a decision to be made, when we know there's something in front of us that we have to do, something that we have to, a challenge that we have to step into, a habit that we're trying to create, we have a very singular way of viewing things. And most of us, not all of us, but most of us assume the negative first. We see everything through a negative lens. We, we anticipate the negative outcome and we sabotage ourselves in doing so because we have a singular way of thinking and we can only see it through the negative. And we do this with our habits. Starting a new year, you may have already talked yourself out of several things that you said you were going to do this year. You know what? I'm going to finally lose the 10 pounds. But you know what? I've tried so many years in the past. I've been saying this for 15 years and it's never worked for me. So you know what? I'm not even going to do it this time. You know what? I'm going to get out of debt. This year, I'm going to get out of debt. I'm going to finally be on the plus. You know what? I've said this for the last 15 years. It's never happened for me. I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm done. I, I already messed up once, and I, I already made a dumb purchase. I'm just, going to, I'm just going to go back to the way I've been doing things. And what we do is we psych ourselves out, and we quit. But what if you didn't have to do that? What if you and I could approach things with confidence from a positive perspective, 
And what if we could just learn some really positive ways of approaching our habits? That there's things that you can do to actually build into your habits the greatest possibility that you'll do it again. And the cardinal rule of all of this, the cardinal rule of behavior change, if you're trying to change a positive behavior, if you're trying to make it better, if you're trying to move away from a bad habit into a good habit, the, the, the cardinal rule of behavior change is this. What is immediately rewarded is repeated. And what is unsatisfying is avoided. What is immediately rewarded gets repeated. When you reward yourself for doing the right thing, it becomes repeated. But when it's difficult, when it's unsatisfying, we avoid it because that's the way you and I are wired. It's the way our brains work. We've talked through four different laws, and today we're talking through the fourth one. But the past three weeks, we've talked through this. Make it obvious was law number one. Make it attractive was law number two. Uh, Make it easy was law number three. All of those things, the first three laws, all increase the odds that a behavior will be performed this time. When we're trying to build a habit and start a habit, those three things help us make it happen this time. But the fourth habit, the one we're going to talk through today, make it satisfying, actually increases the chance that it will happen the next time. And this time is important, but next time is more important. When you're trying to create a habit chain, when you're trying to stack habits one on top of the other, when you're trying to create a system where you've done it several times now and it becomes something you don't even have to think about, making it satisfying is the way to make that happen. It's what ensures that you'll do it again next time. And one of the most satisfying feelings that you'll ever feel is the feeling of progress. You know this. When you start to study for a class that's really difficult and you study and you study and you study and you get the A, all of a sudden you feel this sense of progress, of accomplishment. And all of a sudden studying isn't as painful because you feel like you know what the reward is on the back end, how satisfying it's going to be to get another A. You know this when you lose a couple pounds and you could look at it and go, ah, only two pounds. Or you could say, yes, two more pounds. See, it's a complete difference in attitude. And when you recognize it as progress, it's satisfying. We, begin, we continue to move forward, and it makes the next decision even easier because there's progress. And what we're going to find this morning is there's a story in the New Testament of a particular character. We're going to look at a, a narrative this morning of Simon Peter. If you have a Bible or you have an app and you want to get there, we're going to look in the book of Acts. We're going to look through actually several chapters, not read it all, but we're going to look through several chapters because there's something that happens in the life of Simon Peter that you and I have to really understand this morning because it helps you and I. It helps us move in the right direction. See, this narrative of Simon Peter, he's one of Jesus' disciples. He's one of the original 12 men that followed Jesus around that Jesus called to come and follow me. To say that Simon Peter was a diamond in the rough would be an understatement. Simon Peter was difficult. He was brash, very often an unthinking, impulsive person. He's a fisherman. He's rough around the edges. He's uneducated. He's a common laborer. And just for a moment, let me, let me give you a, a couple of Peter's incredible successes as a disciple of Jesus. He cut a man's ear off in a moment of anger and passion. Success. He was dense when it came to spiritual things. He never got it the first time around. He sometimes didn't get it the second time around. And Jesus would always have to circle back and re-explain it so that Simon Peter could understand. He denied Jesus three times. Three times denied 
even knowing who Jesus was because it was a difficult climate. Jesus was getting ready to be crucified on a cross. And Peter knew that if he agreed and said that, I know the man, there was a chance that he would end up on a cross. So out of fear, he denied who Jesus was. Successes, right? And yet this is the same man that Jesus looks in the eyes and says, upon you, I am going to build my church. I don't know anything else that could be more encouraging for you and I this morning than to know that Jesus still wants to use broken people that are messed up, that don't have it all figured out, that don't know how to do everything perfectly. And Jesus saw something in Simon Peter that Simon could not see in himself. And even through his denials, even through his bad decisions, even through his brashness and difficulty... Jesus saw something in Simon Peter that was going to change the world. So Jesus looks at him and says, upon you, I'm going to build my church. And you don't even know what the church is yet. The church wasn't even created. It hasn't even been established. Peter had no idea what was coming, but Peter was going to be the leader of all of it. So when we come to the book of Acts, specifically Acts chapter 3, a lot's happened. Jesus has lived his life. Jesus has died on a cross. Jesus has been resurrected from the tomb. Jesus has returned to reveal himself to his disciples and hundreds of other people. Jesus has given a job to his followers, something for them to do. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to preach the gospel. I want you to make disciples and I want you to do this. So here's your job. Here's your mission. Here's what I want you to do. And then Jesus ascended back into heaven. So the physical presence of Jesus was no longer on earth. Instead, he was going to send a spiritual one. He sent the Holy Spirit to take his place. And so the Holy Spirit comes to this band of men who are hiding and cowering in an upper room. And Peter now finds himself in charge of all of it. So just imagine for a moment, you've had so much confidence because you followed Jesus around. And Jesus was always there. But now Jesus is not there. But Jesus has told you that you're going to do greater things than he ever did and that you're going to build his church and upon you, this whole movement is going to begin. I'd be a little terrified, to say the least. But in Acts chapter 3, we find a moment in time where Peter now has to make a decision. And we're going to refer to this as Peter's domino moment. This is the moment where there's a domino set up Peter has to decide whether or not to knock over the first one. Because there's going to be a chain reaction that's going to happen. But ultimately, it's his choice of what he does. So check this out in Acts chapter 3. Starting in verse 1, we're going to read a few verses, unpack it, and then we're going to end with some very practical stuff this morning. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple in the hour of prayer, around the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was carried, whom laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering into the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asks to receive alms. I love this next statement. It has nothing to do, actually, with what we're going to talk about this morning. But I love this next statement. And Peter directed his gaze at him and did John and said, look at us. There's just something powerful there about human engagement. I don't know if you've ever passed by someone asking for money. But when you don't even acknowledge them as a human being, it speaks volumes. But in this moment, Peter and John acknowledge the man and they say, look at us. And the man looks up at them and he hears out of their mouths the thing that no beggar ever wants to hear. I have no silver or gold. 
He was asking for money. That was his livelihood. And Peter and John look at him and say, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. And this is the domino moment. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and he raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and he began to walk. And he entered into the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. He's a crazy man at this point. Because he just got healed from something that's been afflicting him since his birth. And so Peter and John are kind of walking into the temple. I would assume they're walking in a little bit like, like, I don't, like we don't want a whole lot of attention. But now there's the lame man who got healed who's jumping behind them and screaming and yelling about praising God. And all the people saw him. Verse 9, check this out. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. Everybody looked at him and they go, hey, isn't that the... That's the lame guy. He's been there forever. And what's he doing up, jumping around? And suddenly they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Now, a couple things that we have to understand quickly. This story is written by Luke. Luke is a historian. He's the same author of the gospel, Luke. Luke writes his account so that the early church and the later church would have an accurate, detailed account of all the things that happened in the life of Jesus and in the early church. He writes this not because he was there firsthand. He writes this because he had firsthand account. The detail that you find throughout the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts is amazing, especially even in this story. The hour of prayer, what time of the day it was, that this man was lame from birth, not just lame, but lame from birth. That's a detail about his life. That the gate, the specific gate, was the beautiful gate. And that they took him by the hand, not just the hand, but by the right hand. Which tells us that Luke would have gotten this account from first-hand information. It was probably Peter or John who gave Luke this detail. And that's important because it's historical. It's not just a made-up fairy tale. It's a historical event that actually took place in the book of Acts. And for all we know in this moment... This is the first time that Peter has ever attempted to heal someone. There's no no other account of Peter ever stepping into a miracle moment. He's been with Jesus. He's watched Jesus do it. But he's never taken the step of faith to do it himself. He was just charged by Jesus in in Acts chapter 1 of what his mission was. To go into all the world. To reach people that are far from God. To make disciples. Acts chapter 2, the, the Holy Spirit arrives. And they're empowered. The rest of Acts chapter 2 is Peter preaching the, one of the greatest sermons of his life. Thousands of people start coming to Jesus. Start following the way. This new movement. And suddenly Peter's confidence is building. He's no longer the terrified guy that he used to be that denied Jesus. Something has happened. Something has triggered. And suddenly he starts to see success. There's these moments of progress that are beginning to happen. So as he walks into the temple this time in Acts 3, and he sees this man lame from birth, you can't help but imagine Peter saying, man, I wonder what Jesus would do. You know what? Jesus would probably take that guy by the hand and tell him to get up. I'm going to do that. I mean, could you imagine the fear inside of you 
You've been told that you're going to do greater things than Jesus could ever do out of Jesus' own mouth. You've been reinstated by Jesus and he has confidence in you that you're going to lead his church. And now you've preached the message and thousands of people are starting to come and they want to know more and they want to do more and they want to be a part of this thing. And now you see this man and you're like, I'm, I'm going to tell this guy to get up. I'm going to. I've never done this before. And I have the confidence to think that if I say it, that somehow Jesus and this Holy Spirit thing that's happening, somehow this is going to happen. Peter had no idea whether or not this miracle would actually work. There was no track record for it. He's never done this before. So by putting aside his fear, he presses on. Let me just remind you, That this year, you have no idea what this year holds for you. Some of you, you've already psyched yourself out of the thing that you know you need to do this year. You need to rebuild your marriage. You need to fix your relationships with your kids or with some siblings. You need to get out of debt for the first time so you can finally be as generous as you've always wanted to be. For some of us, there's big change that we've been wanting to make. We want to get our health intact and we want to make sure that we're there for our kids as our kids get older. And you've already decided to start psyching yourself out of it because you can't do it. What if we just approached it differently? What if we pushed fear aside and we decided that, you know what, I'm going to step into this because somehow God is empowering me to do more than I am capable of. I can do more. I am able. And with God on my side, nothing is impossible for me. It was just over a year ago for me. I made a decision to fix my health. I wasn't, I don't think I was in a really bad place. It wasn't horrible. I look back at pictures of me and I actually tell my staff now, I'm like, why did you not tell me that I was Fat Dave for a while? Like, why did you not? And you can laugh at that, I don't care. Um, I was like, why didn't you tell me this? Like, I didn't look healthy. I didn't feel healthy. And so I made some changes, and it was not easy to do. Started with some food, started then going down the road of exercise. And one of the greatest things that happens when you start to make that decision was when somebody notices. She goes, hey, have you lost a few pounds? Darn right I did. You know, like you get this kind of swagger all of a sudden, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that feels good. And so you press into it a little bit more. See, this is Peter. Peter all of a sudden is going to do this thing that he didn't even know he was capable of doing. But he was going to risk it. He was going to push fear aside and knock over the first domino. I believe this was one of life, the life-changing moments in Peter's life. Second to when Jesus sat on the beach and had breakfast with him and told him that he was going to reinstate him and that Jesus had faith and confidence in him. I think this is the moment that Peter came back to time and time again in his own mind. This is the story that he would retell over and over and over again about how scared he was to even tell the man to get up and walk because he didn't know whether or not it was going to work. But he did it anyway. And that he wanted to do something incredible. And Jesus told him he was going to do something incredible. And so this was the moment that he was going to put it all into action. And he was going to knock over his first domino. So in the name of Jesus, get up. Be healed. This is a pivotal moment. Because the rest of the book of Acts begins to flow out of this moment. That Peter understood what took place in this miracle. That the reward of this moment was going to change all the subsequent moments in Peter's life. 
That there was going to be a reward that was going to be felt. That a habit was going to be formed that was going to change everything about Peter's life. Everything. In verse 11 and 12, it says that the people noticed and they were astonished. And they wanted to hear more. And what happened after this is Peter begins to preach. Thousands of people come into faith in Christ. It's the subsequent dominoes that fall after the first domino. You see, when we find that moment of reward in our life is starting to change, other people begin to notice it. And they want to know how you did it. And they lean in because reward and success on a personal level have impacts on the community around us. It impacts people. And this decision that Peter made to heal this lame man through the power of the Holy Spirit, through Jesus in him, because of this one decision that Peter makes, hundreds and thousands of people's lives begin to change because of this one moment. For the rest of the chapter 3, Peter lays out the gospel message, the good news of Jesus. And then in chapter 4, he gets arrested. And you and I would think, well, that's not good news. Like, that's not a good domino that fell. But it actually led to something that you and I probably would not anticipate. Because of them being arrested, they then are brought before the Jewish council. And they're asked to give an account of what just took place. And Peter says this in a very Peter-esque sort of way. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, chapter 4, verse 8, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Nazareth whom you crucified, kind of a slap in the face there, that's a big finger in the eye, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This is a boldness and a brashness in the positive that we've never seen from Peter. Peter's now speaking to the same group of people that crucified Jesus. These are the people that put Jesus to death. And Peter is wagging his finger in their face saying, you crucified him, but God raised him from the dead. So if you want to know why this man's walking, it was Jesus. I just happened to be the vessel that listened. And you can almost picture John standing next to Peter like, shut up, man. Just shut up. Like, pay the fine. Let's go. Let's, let's get out of here. Stop talking, you know. But Peter is like, he's wired at this point. Peter has so much confidence because he's seeing when he puts into action the things that God has told him to do, the things that Jesus has asked him to do. When he begins to ask the question, what would Jesus do in this moment? And he responds the same way Jesus would. That God actually shows up and works on his behalf. So he's confident. In verse 14 of Acts chapter 4, Luke tells us that, that the council had nothing to say in opposition. They had no response. They were dumbfounded. They were silent, and they've never been silent before. They had no response to Peter. Bottom line is this, Peter and John are released. They're given a, a stern talking to, and that's it. They stepped out in faith, and they found the reward. They found something satisfying. And so they continued to do that very thing over and over and over again. 
Peter and John return to the other believers. They tell them the story. Something's intriguing about all this stuff. Acts chapter 4, 9, one of the people in the group of, of, of people they're telling this story to then prays this prayer. Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. Not keep us out of prison. Not make life easy. Give us, give us the ability to keep speaking your word with boldness. Why? Because the reward made the habit repeatable. There was reward at the end, and because there was reward attached to the habit, and they started to see their life changed, suddenly the habit becomes repeatable. And for these people, it was enjoyable. I mean, stop to consider this one brave and rewarding act, healing the, the lame man, that entire generations of people were going to be changed forever. That this movement was going to take off. Because there's a truth about change. That a powerful motivator is knowing that someone is watching. Some of us, we need to be reminded of that this morning. That the motivator we need is that people are watching you. That every time you give in to the negative temptation. Every time you give in to the bad habit. Every time you convince yourself that it's not going to work this time. There are people learning from you. But every time you do the thing that you're supposed to do and there's a, an accomplishment and there's progress and there's a reward at the end, people are watching you and they're learning from your faith and your determination. Quickly, Acts chapter 5 says this, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. That is only referring to people that were half-hearted. The half-hearted people were terrified because they knew that you had to be all in if you wanted to be a part of this, but at least they still respected them and held them with high esteem. It says, more than ever, believers were being added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The same guy that was terrified to say, yes, I know Jesus, to a little girl, is suddenly the same guy that people are dragging out their sick and their lame so that his shadow will fall upon them. What happened? There was a domino moment. Peter had to step out in faith. And because he stepped out in faith, he had a boldness like he's never felt. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, empowered by Jesus. And he was going to do something with his life worth doing. He was going to change, and everything about him began to change. See, the ultimate hope to finding success is that something is so, uh, is so much a habit, it becomes repeatable. And when a habit becomes repeatable, that will change you. You will then become the you that you've always wanted to be. Remember, it's not about getting something. It's about who we're becoming. You'll become the who that you've always wanted to be. The who that Jesus said you were going to be. When we start to stick to the habits around us, and we start to do the difficult things, and suddenly the difficult things become repeatable, everything about us begins to change. And not just for you. It's so the people around you notice the change, and then they begin to ask, something about you is different. What's so different about you? You know what? I think it's a, you know, some determination, really. I think it's just, I started to trust God more. 
Oh, really? How did, how did that happen? And they start to ask questions. And then you get the chance to actually speak about it and invite people in. I think that's how the early church grew. I think it's how this church has grown. It's because people see something. They see something different. And they want to know how to be a part of that. And all you have to do is be willing to invite them. So how do you and I make this change stick? Let me give you three very practical things, and then we'll pray and close. Number one, you use reinforcements. You build reinforcements into your life to encourage the positive habit. James Clear gets into that way more in the book than I have time right now. Number two, you track your habits. Track your habits and don't break the chain. It's like a chain link that you're putting together that every time you perform the same habit after the next habit after the next habit, you're building a chain. And you never want to break the chain. But if you do, it doesn't mean you're done. Just never miss twice. Because the moment you miss twice, you start to build a new habit. So if you miss once, if you miss the gym once, just jump back on as quick as you can. If you eat a bad meal and you shouldn't have eaten it, jump back as quick as you can. If you buy something you shouldn't have bought and you know that you should put that money in the bank, jump back onto it the next time. Just don't do it twice because then you're now forming a new habit. And number three, find others to celebrate with you. Surround yourself with people that are going to encourage you. They're going to lean in with you to help keep pushing the positive habit in your life. Surround yourself with good people that are going to encourage you. And this week, what I want to ask you to do, if you'll take this domino, if you'll carry it with you, put it somewhere that you'll look at repeatedly throughout a day and remind yourself that this is your first step. And you're going to kick down the first domino. And so what I'd love to ask you to do is actually to write a word on one side. Today, you can think about it. You can write it down right now if you know what that word is for you, the new habit system that you want to create. I just want to encourage you to write something down. And know that this is what you're going to do to set into motion a chain of events that is going to end up in a brand new you. And that 2019 can be different. Matter of fact, 2019 will be different for you. Because you've never done this before. And you're going to do it in a way that you've never done in the past. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this morning and we thank you for your word. God, I thank you for life change and so many of us in this room that have experienced change with you. But God, I'm just my heart's moved this morning for those maybe in this room that have never said yes to you. They've never crossed that line of really kicking over the first domino of a life with Jesus. And so I pray that today for those in this room, God, that need to take that step, that you would just give them the courage and the confidence to know that they are not alone in that decision. God, would you guide them? Would you walk with them? Would you let them know that there's a family in this church? There is a room full of people that want to do nothing but encourage them. And so I pray that today that they would have the confidence to, to grab an I said yes card, to fill it out, to drop it in an offering bucket, to stop and pray with someone after service, whatever it is that their next step is. But I pray that today would be their day, that they say yes to you. And God, for those of us that need to create some better habits in our life, we need to break some bad ones and we need to start some good ones. Would you give us the confidence and the courage to move in the right direction? God, we're so grateful that you love us and that you know us. And you know how we're wired. And so would you use this story of Peter as an encouragement for us? That Simon Peter went from being the guy that he was before to someone totally different. It's because he had the confidence and the power of the Holy Spirit and he had Jesus on his side. 
And so we thank you for that reminder. And God, we just pray over this offering that we're about to receive this morning, that you would continue to use it to, to further your purposes and your kingdom. God, that we are never going to, in this church, be about our kingdom or our thing. Would you remind us that it's always, always about you? So God, as we give with confidence, knowing that you're going to take it and use it and further your purposes, would you just allow your blessing to, to come back to us? God, we love you. We thank you so much for it. And it's in your name we can pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated on all that's happening at South Hills Burbank.